Hey everyone, it's Dario Kristen with AfterBuzz TV. Did you know that TrueCar.com is changing car buying experiences forever? Yes, everyday TrueCar users receive negotiation-free guaranteed savings. Although, some features are not available in all states. But it's okay. In the first three months of this year, over 126,000 cars were sold by the TrueCar Certified Dealer Network. TrueCar users save an average of $3,078 off of MSRP. When you're ready to buy a car, just follow these easy steps. It's just three of them. First, you go to TrueCar.com and find out what other people pay for the car you're looking for. Then register at TrueCar.com to see upfront pricing information and lock in your savings. The third step is so simple. Just print out your true savings certificate and take it to the TrueCar certified dealer for a better, hassle-free car buying experience overall. Remember, everyday TrueCar users receive negotiation-free guaranteed savings. Save time, save your money, and never overpay. Visit TrueCar.com today. That's TrueCar.com. You're listening to the AfterBuzz TV Network. Now the largest new media platform on the web and your number one source for after-show entertainment. From the AfterBuzz studios in Los Angeles, California, presented by Maria Menounos and streaming live thanks to Akamai Technologies, this is AfterBuzz TV's After Show. Hello, AfterBuzzers, and welcome to the After Show for The Nick. This is our very first episode, the pilot called Method and Madness. My name is Oriana Leo, hosting your show tonight. Uh, Marissa Serafini and Matt Lieberman are not with us, but in their honor, we have a very special guest. On a couple, she's filling in. I don't think I'm the special guest. Well, you're our special guest host. Um, But even more exciting, we have an amazingly special guest in studio. We have Michael Begler. Say hello to the fans. Hello, fans. (laughs) Now, Michael is part of the two-team duo responsible for co-creating, co-writing, and executive producing. Is that correct? That's correct. So, uh, exactly. (laughs) We are honored to have you here. Um, So, we're going to have your partner, Jack Emil, calling in um, from D.C. in just a few minutes. But before then, let's kind of jump in. Anna, what did you think when you saw this pilot episode for the very first time? I thought it was pretty intense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. uh, I think it was such a great pilot. And... um, Especially for Cinemax, I think it's such a great turn for the network. Um, but man, uh, we were sort of talking off camera that uh, I think Michael said the first seven minutes you don't breathe, and mm-hmm. I think that that's accurate. Um, and especially with like, the, and we'll get into it, all of the details. But, yes. But particularly with the cesarean, I was like literally hugging myself, just like, <gasps> yes. What's gonna happen? The intensity like, so. of the show, I feel like, is at an eleven from the right. very moment that it starts and it really doesn't let up and when it does I feel like it's like lulling you into a sense of security how false would, security yeah false security yeah. Michael how would you say that seems accurate what were you going for in the mood I think that's what we were going for I think we were going for um, that intensity but also those places where you could breathe where you could exhale yes um, that's why I think we put a little bit of that humor in the show mm-hmm. like when you see uh, for example, when you see Tom Cleary, the ambulance driver, <laughs> and he's uh, he brings out the baseball bat, yes. it's like it's those moments where you can just be like, okay, I can I can relax a little bit because, but then it's going to ramp back up. Right? There's a there's a little bit of levity there to give you the break from some of the insane surgical scenes that we see. But start opening up the shot. We see Doctor Thackeray's white shoes in an mm-hmm. opium den. Um, not that we put that together right away, but he essentially, in the very first scene, travels from the opium den, shoots up, and 
does the equivalent of scrubbing in for a surgery. Um, I did a little bit of research, and I know Anna did too, that thinking this show couldn't just exist out of nowhere. There has to have been historical reference, obviously, uh, but for the main character. Right. So I'm wondering if you can tell us a little bit about what sort of research you guys did, what informed and inspired this character, uh, clearly based on the actual badass surgical doctor, uh, William Stuart Halstead. Yeah, well, um, it started... I mean, the, the whole idea, if you want to just go back to where the show yeah. was originally conceived, um, I was going through a little bit of a health issue a couple of years ago, and um, I was kind of going down the road of different treatments, uh, traditional medicine and uh, alternative medicine, and there were times where I was really um, amazed at what medical science had figured out, and at other points I was really frustrated at what they still didn't know. Sure. Um, so it just made Jack and I think about the general idea of why do we know anything at any given time? and how would I have done this 100 years ago? Like, what options would I have had? So just on a whim, we decided to buy a couple of medical textbooks off of eBay from 1900, and they were unbelievable. Like, we couldn't put them down. It was like reading Fifty Shades of Grey to us. I mean, like, we we literally was like, we were turning the pages, we were emailing and texting each other saying, like, oh, my God, you're not going to believe what I just found. So we knew right then that there was something really incredible to play here. And then as we dove into the world and into the actual surgeons, we came across um, William Halstead, and he was the one of the founders of Johns Hopkins, and um, he's considered during that era like one of the most groundbreaking surgeons of his time. However, he was also a massive cocaine and uh, um, morphine, morphine mm-hmm. thank you, addict. Um, so he was coking up during the day. He was making all of these incredible discoveries. And then to come down, he would, he would shoot up the morphine. Um, and we just thought that there was just something amazing in a character like that back in 1900. Um, yes, you've, you know, we've seen the, the, the drug addled doctor and someone like House, but we, we, I mean, to be quite honest, Jack and I had never seen House, but, um, uh, but we just felt like there was just an, just a, an incredible world, and this guy was there. Was just so much to play with him. There absolutely is. Go ahead. Yeah. Um. Well, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but he became a cocaine addict um, by testing himself and his, yeah. in his uh, interns, right? Did, yeah, they didn't have they didn't have anybody to test on, mm-hmm. so th- it was just something that they would do uh, in the medical schools, and they would just basically say like, "Okay, here's liquid cocaine. I want you to see what it does. So we're all going to inject it into our arms. I want you to feel the sensation." So after a while, you're doing that class after class, and you're also seeing, like, wait a minute, it gives me a sort of a rush. It gives me euphoria. And so why not use it? They didn't know that it was dangerous at the time. Sure. Um, actually, uh, the Austrian army was giving it to their to their uh, soldiers because it just made them superhuman. Right. And also, I mean, part of that work, as much as it led to his addiction, was groundbreaking in, you know, I guess, ether and numbing uh, procedures for surgery. Oh yeah, he he. There there's a number of procedures that he um, that he perfected. Uh, I think one of the things that he's most well known for is like something that's so routine today is is a hernia operation. There's a very specific hernia operation that was nobody could figure out, and he was the one who sort of 
revolutionize that. Right. Um, and again, it seems like what's the big deal about hernia? But back then, it was seen as something that would it was going to change the medical world. I was looking at some of the things that he uh, has been credited in doing, and they were a long list, such as the first gallbladder operation, which mm-hmm. he did on his own mother mm-hmm. on a kitchen table in, 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 in her house. Yeah. In her home, um, he performed the first blood transfusion yep. on his sister, sister. and yep. then performed a surgery uh, on her afterwards. Um, experimented with cocaine as an anesthetic. He, uh, what I thought was interesting is that he entered a sanitarium for treatment of his addiction in which they used morphine to treat his cocaine addiction. Yeah. And so he left with two addictions. Um, that was well before he went on to found essentially John Hopkins. Right. So right. he was a prolific uh, junkie yes. in the sense that he was so um, functional on such an incredible level. Yeah. Yeah, there it, it seemed there was nothing that that he and and some of his colleagues could do at that point. Um, there was also um, there was Osler, who was another one of the founders, uh, and there was Franklin Mall. I mean, all these guys at the time were making such inroads. And so we don't want to say that Thackeray is just Halstead; he's right. actually all of these guys. Um, and it's just kind of amalgamated into one person, um, but. Uh, yeah, it was the, the things that they accomplished in a very, very short amount of time, too. You know, we're talking about a span of like 10 years was it, it, it blew people's minds. I mean, everything was moving at such an incredible rate. We think everything goes so fast now. Like we go, oh, my God, I can't keep up with technology. But back then, OK, you got to remember, like outside of medicine, you had the automobile that was invented, the telephone, the movie camera, the wax recorder, the phonograph. So people's minds were being blown. The airplane was only a couple of years away and they were being blown like on a, on a daily basis. I mean, there was, there's so much happening so fast. Like people had really bad anxiety. Right. So we see this, um, this surgical gallery with, uh, the mentor, which is Dr. Christensen. Thank you. Dr. J.M. Christensen with his mentee, Dr. Thackeray. And they are going to perform a, looks like they're going to perform a C-section, uh, mm-hmm. Because their mother has pl- placenta previa, and it doesn't go according to plan. I know that I was viscerally affected by this scene. Right. You know, yeah. they wheel in the mom, and she says, "Just save my baby." And the two men look at each other and say, "100 seconds." Mm-hmm. And they're in a room. This must have been standard for teaching hospitals. This was this was the way it was done. You, um, they were called theaters. You were literally performing, and the way it worked was, uh, you had a gallery of of doctors the most senior professors and doctors were on the bottom row and the top was was were the young students and and the uh the, the interns um and it was just that you came out there you said this is what i'm going to do and you attempted it and sometimes it it worked and but most of the time it failed and it was just a, it was teaching i feel like we get to see a little bit into Dr. Christensen, you know, he seems like he's very intent on the procedure that he's planned, Mm -hmm. that he wants to do. And Dr. Thackeray is the one that's kind of stating, like, this baby has moved, this is perforated, like, things are not set up for a perfect operation here. They're going to have to change course. You can kind of see Dr. Christensen pause for a moment, and they really don't have a moment to spare. No. Anna, how are you feeling in this moment? Well, uh, yeah, I, I don't. I, there's there's not a, a second to pause, and um, but I also with Dr. Christensen, you, you know that he's so emotionally invested in this, and it's um, and we know because later he he kills himself, but um, that there's there's so much at stake here. It's not 
just this woman's life. It's not just the life of this baby. It's it's also this man has so much tied to it. And uh, and you know, there's with everybody watching, you know, all eyes on. There's yeah. just so there much. couldn't be any more pressure. Yeah. There, so and we find out later um, that. In what I'm not sure if it's a flashback or a hallucination, but mm-hmm. um, when the mentor is speaking to the mentee, saying, "You know, I'm kind of I'm after fame," mm-hmm. you know, there was no denying that that they wanted to be remembered and written down in the to the history books and the textbooks for advancing surgical, you know, knowledge and practices and gains. But right. you can see how much pressure he ended up being under. Yeah, and remember, these guys bolst the pressure they're under. They bolster themselves by shooting up. So right. they can walk in there fully confident about what they're going to do. Um, and I don't think I'm giving anything away by saying that there's a line in in episode two where Thackeray is talking to Christensen's widow mm-hmm. where she asks, like, how do you deal with this? And he says, you know, and she said, what happened to my husband? How come he cracked, essentially? And he said, he says to her, he stopped seeing the procedure and he started seeing the patient. So because he had failed at this over and over and over again, it just got under his skin and um, he couldn't take it anymore. And so the reason that these guys like Thackeray are shooting up is that so they can just focus on the task sure. and not see the woman who says, please save my baby. Right. So we know what happens. We know that the surgery does not go well. There's a really grotesque shot of the belly with the clamps in it as they all like depart and I just was thinking, like, this is so real. This is so realistic. I can't believe we came from this. So much blood. So much blood. So much blood. What the, were in- the intensity of the pumping of the blood as well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. The uh, cinematography is really remarkable. Cinematography, the the visual effects guys, the prosthetics, like, all of it was... I mean, we, we shot that... that there's nothing that is digitally enhanced in that scene. That is all practical. Wow. I mean, we had the blood. Those guys, the, the VFX guys, they had the blood pumping underneath the table the whole time. I mean, it was, it was, that was theater in itself, just watching them perform this whole thing. And I mean, it was so, it was so incredible. I mean, we did, I mean, Stephen must have done 36 setups, I think, for that one surgery. Wow. Um, and, 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 you know, Stephen holds the camera. He's the, he's the cinematographer, and right. there's, there's a B camera operator. Um, but that took a good chunk of a day. But at the end of it, I mean, it was spontaneous. But the guys in the gallery, all the extras, they got up and applauded. Like it was, it was because wow. it was so, wow. it, it was, and it was so intense. Like you really believe these guys were were in there doing the surgery. Yeah, well, and and like you you just brought up with uh, with the pumping, and that definitely added the the like squeaking of it, and they're like pump faster, and it's just like and you can see the the you can see that the pulley is, is a you know it's overworked, it's about, mm-hmm. and you can it just gave so much more emotion to the scene, and then you know we are obviously disappointed, the pulse is gone, and we see we follow Doctor Christensen to his office, where he very politely puts a sheet down to make his own deathbed, yes. essentially, yeah. Um, and that's that. But we move into that sort of funeral scene where Dr. Thackeray is on the soapbox, if you will. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's he's a great orator. And you could tell he's very passionate. And he says exactly what you just shared with us about our society is making so much progress. We can't let something like this slow us down. But I don't know if it's foreshadowing. I just see that this is definitely an interesting part of his character, that it's like progress against all odds you know he sees like he seems like he 
he really truly believes that what he's doing is for the betterment of humankind, no matter how many bodies are at the bottom right. of the pile. Right. I mean, he's got a body count behind him of hundreds. These guys all did. And, but they, they weren't going to let things slow them down. I mean, they felt it was a responsibility that they needed, they needed that body count in order, because every, every body that they kill, they learn from. And right. so then they apply what they learned. Um, but again, for Christensen, it just, it, it got to be too much. We see that, you know, going into the hospital itself and the way that this world could develops, you know, this hospital has benefactors, the mm-hmm. Robertsons, mm-hmm. correct? Can you explain, like, how did you guys do research or come to understand what that world was, looked like? Was that specific to the Knickerbocker? Well, there were, there were two types of hospitals in New York. There's public hospitals and there were private hospitals. And um, we're kind of saying that ours is a private one. It's, so it's funded by, you know, we say they, they get some money from the church, um, and but they also have all these benefactors. Um, and so they make all the decisions. You know, they can decide who comes in those doors. They can decide how much they want to charge somebody. If you're at a public hospital, like at the time, like Bellevue was around, and um, th- they have to let everybody in the door. It's just because they're being funded by the city and, um, but but a place like the Knickerbocker, they can open or close their doors to anyone they want, and they, and they can make the rules that they want. Right. So someone like the Robertsons can decide who they want as the replacement because they have the power to do that. Right. And I, we were talking a little bit before we went on air about what that world looks like in the sense, like I think it's interesting that Cornelia, the daughter, is she's the one with the guts. She's the mm-hmm. one that has been put in a position by her father to essentially run the hospital as they see fit. Right. Um, but she has a very unique situation of being the daughter, being a woman, trying to bring on an African-American doctor that is clearly not wanted. Mm-hmm. Were these historically accurate in the sense that they were actually referring to things that happened? Um, they weren't referring to specific things, but in general, just what was going on in the world. I mean, sort of our mantra, Jack and I, our mantra when we wrote this thing was to tell the truth. Like, we didn't want to, like, sugarcoat any of this stuff because it's just the world we lived in and, uh, you know, like it or not. And so we felt it was a really racist, sexist society back then. It was just, it was the world of the white Protestant man. And they just controlled everything in the country. And in America at the time, it was like, this was, it was going to be our century. You know, in the, in the 19th century was, was Europe's century, but, but the 20th century was going to be the American century. And these guys were going to take it and just run with it. And so it didn't, they, they weren't going to have anybody stand in their way. And we're talking about we're 35 years past emancipation. So it's still, you know, to be a black man in America, um, is still such a struggle and strain, even if you are as talented and as well-educated as as our character, Algernon Edwards. Um, you know, he could, if you don't mind a little bit of history. Sure. Um, the first black uh, medical student at Harvard was accepted in 1850, and his name was um, Martin Delaney. And he and two other African-Americans were accepted into the class and they only lasted three weeks because the other students, they just um, put up a petition. And Oliver Wendell Holmes Sr., who is the father of the of the future um, Supreme Court justice, was the head of the school, and he agreed, and he kicked them out. And it was a couple decades later before another um, African-American was accepted to Harvard. Wow. But on the flip side of that, 
what we have in the show is that um, Algernon got a lot of training in Europe, and that is absolutely true. These guys could go to Europe. They could work with the best doctors, the best researchers, the best scientists over there as an equal. You know, we we use this um, archivist and medical expert. His name was Dr. Stanley Burns, and he was so incredibly helpful. And he has this brownstone in New York that literally has over a million photographs from the era. It's it's insane. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, it's, he's a very, very, very specific hoarder. Um, <laughs> but um, so the first photograph he showed us was of an African-American surgeon in Paris at the turn of the century being the lead surgeon on a surgery. And everybody else around him is white, wow. but he's the lead surgeon. And it's like the only photograph that exists of this uh, uh, from this era of, of that event. Um, so, yeah, it was really, really tough for African-Americans. And then for women, you know, we're, we're, what, 20 some odd years away from women even having the right to vote. Women didn't, they didn't, um, they didn't, there weren't any positions for them. I mean, yes, a sweatshop, a nurse, Mm -hmm. um, you know, maybe you were a shopkeeper, but there were no positions of power really for women. There were, there were a couple of exceptions, but in general, that that wasn't her. Or of. in this case, if your family was wealthy enough, right? Or Cornelia, would, right? Would that be the exception? Wealth? Would... I think so. Yeah, definitely. That has a, a big part in it because the the captain has the power to say what he wants to say, and and he's the chairman of the board, and so he can say she's going to sit in as my proxy, and and they have to they have to go along with it. But they she still doesn't get the respect that she you know everybody's condescending, sure, patronizing, um, especially to Nurse Lucy has that moment where Dr. Thackeray just eviscerates her. Right. For, for I mean, yes, she didn't properly check the tubes or whatever on that patient that had the abdominal surgery, but I could feel how just mortifying that would be. Yeah, yeah, and which was which was the, the whole point. I mean, here's a girl who's three weeks into uh, working at this hospital. She's from West Virginia. She's from a small town, and here she is in the big city. She's got the big job, and, and she's just beaten down right away right. and that it's just got to be yes it's got to be mortifying <laughs> moralizing um but i think that was just the way it was also what i think is interesting too is that we have this benefactor for the quote-unquote you know private hospital but we see behind the scenes that there really isn't a lot of money no um and they have to pay to get bodies mm-hmm. in the hospital living bodies but they also want to have cadavers like i'm trying to understand where is the money going or why is there this situation? Well, the, the reason the hospital doesn't have a lot of money is because it's it's downtown and the city was really changing historically uh, back in 1900. Um, I think uh, there was about 1.5 million people in New York in, in 1900. But in that year alone, 500,000 immigrants came in. So you increase the size of the city by a third and all of them, or almost all of them, are living downtown. They're living on the Lower East Side of Manhattan. So you have this influx of people. So then you have this flight of of the wealthy mm-hmm. moving uptown. Right. They don't want to be around it. So the type of person or the type of uh, patient at the hospital is going to go from a middle class or upper class person to to these lower class immigrants. And they can't really pay that much. And the truth of the matter is, um, and I'm sorry if I'm rambling about history a little bit. Oh, no, but, it's um, amazing. <laughs> um, is that uh, back then, 
the middle class didn't want to go to the hospital because, well, first of all, going to the hospital was considered, you're, you're probably going to die if you had to go to the hospital. As we can see. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's not, it's not, it's <laughs> it's not, not the, a safe place. No, it's not a happy place, um, uh, though it looks beautiful. Um, but uh, the middle class didn't want to go because they couldn't afford the rooms, the private rooms, but they didn't want to be on the ward with the immigrants. Mm-hmm. So they said, all right, we're just going to stay home. So, and if all of the wealthy are now going to the uptown hospitals, all you have for the most part are these immigrants. So it's like we've got to bring in as many bodies as we can any way we can. Now, we, we you know, the, the idea of Cleary going out and, and snatching up these bodies, <laughs> we made that up because we just thought it was just it was just too great because, again, we just made it up out of this, their situation, which sure. was which was really – that was based on fact that that these hospitals downtown were struggling because of, of this great move – Move no, move uptown. So when the um, health inspector is goes out and goes into these kind of slums, which mm-hmm. exactly you're explaining, all these new immigrants coming in, there's not enough um, airflow. Mm-hmm. You know, the conditions are really bad, and they're perfect for the proliferation of disease. Right. Um, was that something that you saw historically that there would be how these health inspectors were mm-hmm. they getting kickbacks? Not that there's that much difference from the medical industry today. We know there's a whole lot of of greasing, right. you know, certain relationships to make sure that patients have a certain flow. No, this was also another thing that was that was historically based on fact that the health inspectors had a bit of power in New York that they could they would have to go into these uh, tenements and into these areas if if diseases broke out and they could quarantine full blocks if they wanted to and they could and by doing that they could also sort of decide you know which which areas get quarantined so which which hospital is in that neighborhood? So who's going to get the patients? Yeah. And if if the if the health inspector, if the city says, okay, we have to quarantine and we have to bring these people to the hospital, the city is going to pay for the for each patient. So you 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 almost the Nick almost wants these this influx of tuberculosis patients because sure. it just means more money in their pocket. And Spate, just being an opportunist, like so many people on our show, um, he just figures like, hey, I, I give you something, you give me something in return. Right. And he's 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 not that unlikable. No. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. He seems like, I kind of like his character. I see what he's doing, but I'm like, you know, I don't know who wouldn't at that time do the exact same thing. Right. And and I think it's also the way that the actor, David Fierro, plays it. Um, he just has this sort of, I mean, he, he I think he looks the period like he honestly he looks sure like he, he's from the period and he just kind of plays it with a little bit of um humor which i think is and lightness which which is um which is great and, and i think that's why it makes him i think a little likable the uh characters talk about the circus mm-hmm. many times um i know yeah. dr thackeray says to dr Ed, uh, algernon Edwards. Al- algernon algernon thank you mm-hmm. um but he says this is not london or paris right uh, I don't want you in my circus. Right. Is that reference to circus? Where did that come from? Uh, I'll credit my partner, Jack, with Which that I'm sorry one. we don't have him on the air. Something must have happened, but um, we're glad we have you. I think it's uh, I think it's just when we look at that world and how insane it is and that it is a circus, that it and, and that Thackeray has to be the ringleader. You know, he has so much going. He's got three rings going on at once. He's got a surgery here. He's got to be on the ward here. And, and it's just, he's trying to keep all those balls in the air. And it, it is. It's just, it's performance. It's insanity. It's death-defying. I mean, it's all these things that you would you would find in, 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 in a circus. And I think that's why um, 
Jack uh, kind of came up with that analogy, which is a great one. And we see that, I mean, he can't even take a night off from his regularly scheduled activities. No. Right? I mean, that t- throws in a whole nother level of circusness, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. Well, like I said before, it's like these guys, they, they're they going all day, but they got to come down at a certain point in the night and they've, they've got to, uh, they've got to find that release. So his release is with opium, but he, but there comes a point where he, even he says like, I've got to, I've got to stop all of it. He's trapped. Yeah. He's very much trapped. I feel, you can feel for him in that moment of, I'm still on episode one, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you can really feel for him in that moment of vulnerability that he's clearly having withdrawals. Right. And, um, and Lu- Lucy is there to help yeah. uh, as much as she can. But you just it's remarkable to me to think that this is could possibly have been based on historical fact. Like that there was a man that could have been that sick and then be performing a surgery shortly yeah. thereafter. There are a lot of functional addicts in there the world, sure are. you know. I mean that every day go and spend years, decades even. So but not usually so prolific. Sure, <laughs> sure. But still pretty amazing. Um so I wanted to talk a little bit about Algernon Edwards and mm-hmm. just his struggle at the circus. Um, his reason for wanting to stay, I feel, I don't know, Anna, how do you feel about this? It seems like it's a little bit of pride and it's a little bit of him also being the, the ultimate student where he really wants to learn from Dr. Thackeray. He also doesn't want to give in, maybe. What did you get from that? Yeah, no, I definitely got that sense. Um, I... I don't know. I have uh, I have some some questions. I would like to see his character. This is only I've only seen the pilot, of course. So, um, like right now, uh, I love uh, I'm sorry, what is his uh, Andre, Andre Holland? Yeah, yeah. I, I love the way he's playing him. Mm-hmm. Um, like he's just he just seems like so gentle and stoic, and there's just like a real sort of um, calm confidence about him. Yes. Um, However, I would like to see some edginess about him because uh, to just be like, you know, the good black guy who everybody else is picking on is just, um, I don't know, and and don't give anything away. (laughs) All all I'll say is we felt the same way. Okay. (laughs) We didn't want that either. We felt like that, that it's not three-dimensional and that... This guy again. I'm not going to give anything away, but he's he's not everything you saw in the pilot is not even close to what is not the full picture. And you you've now seen I episode guess. two. I have seen so. there is an edge that comes out. Okay, yeah. <laughs> good. So. He's good. definitely human. Um, but the things that he has to go through, and I can't like you were saying, I can't imagine the difficulty of being that man and being able to travel overseas and be treated in a completely different manner mm-hmm. um, and, and gain all of this knowledge and experience and yet be suffocated and stifled. Yeah. What that would feel like. I right. think, you know, props to you, <laughs> for to you guys for making such a sympathetic character, but who ultimately does reveal himself as more complicated. Yeah. There's, there's a, um, there's actually a, a, uh, an athlete, this, this, um, uh, cyclist named Major Taylor, who was one of the biggest cycling back then was like one of the biggest sports in, mm. in 1900, and um, he was he was African American. He was, I mean, again, sorry, Jack, that you're not on this because you could talk more <laughs> about this. So if I get it wrong, you can uh, text me later. But um, 
Uh, but I, I believe that he was raised in a in a white household. I think like his, I, I don't know the exact details. I can't remember them. But point being that he was this incredible, incredible uh, cyclist, and he would go over to Europe and he was treated like a king. Everyone wanted to race him. Everyone wanted to come and see him race. He would go over to Australia. Same thing. Come back to America. He was he was kicked. He was spit on oh, on the yeah. track. They tried to they would try and uh, throw him off his bike, and he got absolutely absolutely no respect. And so that's almost like a. I don't think we. I think we probably talked about that, but that was sort of like what we. I think we both had in the back of our minds for this guy. It's just like that's just that was just the reality. Um, but yeah, he's there. There's also a little bit you know of, of I like to think of Jackie Robinson in, in that. Um, when Jackie Robinson was asked to join the majors, they Branch Rickey said to him, um, "You basically for five years you can't say anything. Like you just have to keep your head down and play baseball and not get angry because if you get angry, it's gonna it's gonna you're gonna ruin your chances." And it was like so much for this one guy to swallow all the abuse. It's like nobody right. could, could handle yeah. all of that. So again, it's like that as well played into the forming of of Algernon, and yeah, he's. I guess the the that's a long answer to say like yeah, it's coming. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think we kind of need to wrap up. We're going to move into like our news and predictions and all that kind of stuff. But did you have any other thoughts? I had a couple of notes on Doctor Thackeray. Um, Anything for you? You know, I just uh, the the one thing I I, I wanted to. To, with with Dr. Thackeray, I really just loved the the closing moment where um, the you know everything's been agreed upon. I get, you know um, Dr. Algernon staying, and uh, so the electricity staying. Um, <laughs> but as he's walking out of out of the building, you know li- the lights are literally staying on. Um, but he has sort of I don't know. I think I felt it was like symbolic for him illuminating the place so um i just thought that was really sort of brilliant yeah very poetic yeah um i there were a couple sort of poetic moments i noticed with dr thackeray when he talks about he's doing that that epidural for the Mm -hmm. first time essentially Mm -hmm. and he says oh this has never been done on anyone before or he said what he says only tried once before on a laboratory retriever right and they said well what happened (laughs) not a day goes by that i don't miss that dog his sense of humor, oh, yeah. right in the middle of it, while this patient is dying, yes. But, I mean, there's a gallery, and it, it doesn't seem to phase him at all. No. That this could easily kill this guy, just like it killed his dog, and make a joke out of it. Right. Right. And, <laughs> and again, it's just that he has to have that sort of sense of humor about the whole endeavor, because he knows that, yeah, the, the chances of this working, he has no idea. He came up with this. On the way in, you know, Lucy shoots him up, and he basically from from his place to the hospital, he's like, "Oh, you know what? Why don't Why don't we just try giving this guy a cocaine injection into his back?" Um, and so it's like he has no idea, and so it's just like, "All right." It's a know. remarkable period in history. I'm so excited to see how the rest of yeah. the season's going to unfold because these characters and Clive Owen, and of course, amazing performance. Yeah. The issues that these characters are going through, like you said, are completely. They're just unbelievable to us now, mm-hmm. you know, as far as the amount of progress that's being made and the type of pioneering attitude you have to have to be a part of it right? at this time. So a lot of exciting stuff. Uh, one thing I wanted to touch base with you was the music, mm-hmm. because I yes. think that the music is so different. It's a juxtaposition. Yeah. Yeah. Can you explain that to us? Well, uh, that's all 
Soderbergh. I mean, he saw that from a very early point that the the whole thing about the show in general is we all felt we wanted it to have a very modern feel. We didn't, you know, you watch a lot of period things and there's there's almost like an invisible wall that's put up. You know, it's very staid. It's 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 it feels very proper. It's very romanticized. But the whole point of this was to make you feel like you're there, like you can relate to these people. So um, the way they speak, we we really worked on the language to make it not so like old timey. You know, right. we really wanted it's very to feel accessible, right? Accessible, but not. False. Right, exactly. We didn't want to make it too contemporary. They're not saying dude or, you know, <laughs> anything like yes. that. Um, but but we wanted it to feel like you could be it could be today in terms of so you so you didn't have to you didn't have to spend any energy sort of processing that. And so another piece of that is to to keep it modern was to to make the music as contemporary as possible. You know, Stephen knew right away like when he was going to shoot it. He said, "No strings." He doesn't want violins. He doesn't want any. Doesn't want anything acoustic. He wants it just to have this sort of pumping feel. And he's worked with Cliff Martinez before. Um, you know, I think the like they did Contagion together, and they did a couple other movies together. Um, so he just is very familiar with what he's able to do, and it it just adds a level of intensity to it. And I I'll just add one more thing that I love about it is where he uses it. Because he uses it in places like Thackeray's Drive to the Thing, yes. and it really gets you going. Yes, but, yeah. But once you're in that surgery, there's no music. Right. And I love that because then you concentrate on the pumping of the blood and all the sounds of the cutting and all of that. It just enhances that even more and makes that even more intense. I completely agree. And I feel like it, it, you did a great job blending our worlds. That I we could be sucked into this, but I've seen a couple other period um, productions that are on like Netflix and Hulu, and I just don't believe it. Mm-hmm. It's it's comedic almost, right. not on purpose because right. it's too far away. It's right. too detached. So I think you guys have done really incredible work. Thank you. Um, yes. Any final thoughts before we get into news and gossip? Let's get into news. All and right, gossip. let's do some news and gossip. After Buzz TV News. So, Michael, this is the part where we talk about news. Uh-huh. I was wondering if you might have any news for us about a second season. Has anything come up? Well, we've been renewed. You have been renewed. Yes, thank we've, you. We've been renewed. For sharing. Um, and so we are actually in the middle of writing the scripts. Um, we know exactly what we're doing. We know exactly where it's going to go. Amazing. Um, so, I know. It's amazing. Yeah, <laughs> this the first season is a very wild ride. The second season is an even more wild ride. I'm, wow. Congratulations! Thank you. Yeah. I mean, that's a huge deal. Especially, this happened before even the pilot aired. Yes, it happened. Um, it happened wow. at the at the TCAs. <laughs> um, you know, I just think that everybody involved sees something special here. I'm really glad that they do. Yeah, yeah. Um, we and, do. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> so they just they're just they just believe in it. And and the other thing is that Steven's going to do all ten again. He's going to direct all ten wow. episodes of second season. So I think that that is a major thing. You know, Clive's obviously in for a second season, so that's a major coup. So all of that um, makes them say like, well, I guess why not? Why not do it again? And again, I'm. 
incredibly grateful that they are going to do it again. We are grateful too. And bravo to Cinemax um, for bringing us this kind of programming because it's just, it's so unique. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, you know, my hat's off to Carrie and Tholis and, and the team at HBO, Richard Plepler, Mike Lombardo and David Levine. They, they, they saw what we saw right away and, um, and they let us they let us do it. They really, I mean, we, we were under an incredible time crunch. We, last June, we had one script, and now um, we had three months to write nine more. Um, wow. So, <laughs> so um, I, I, I am so incredibly grateful that they gave us that opportunity. They are incredible collaborators, very, very smart executives, and um, I think it, it, all of our work comes out on the on the screen. It sure, it does. sure does. Yeah, we get to enjoy the fruits <laughs> of your labor. Um, anything on off from you for news and gossip? I don't have news. Yeah. I'm sorry. We did a lot of research on the doctor, but mm-hmm. we already covered that. So let's get into predictions. We're going to get into predictions right now. All right. So Anna, do you have any predictions? <laughs> um, I predict, you know, I saw a little flirting between... Uh, there it is. Oh, there it there is. There we go. Better uh, late than never. <laughs> uh I saw a little, uh, maybe a little spark between Lucy and uh, Dr. Chickering. Thank you. And uh, <laughs> so, so I'm going to say that there's going to be a romance there. Mm. Um, yeah, I'll stick with that to be my prediction. I've already seen the second episode, so I'm not really <laughs> sure that it's fair to predict. But season long, um, I'm expecting to see more cutting edge at the time surgeries that I have to avert my eyes from. Um, and I imagine that we're going to see the development of uh, Dr. Algernon Edwards, his character, his edges, um, the complexity of the situation he's in. And I wouldn't be surprised if Dr. Thackeray has a bit of a downward spiral. He's already in a spiral, but um, it seems like yeah. it might be going down and up every single episode. That's my prediction. Yeah. Uh, would you like to make a prediction? Your guess, I don't know, maybe <laughs> about anything, about the success, about how well it's been received, anything? Um, I predict there will be more blood All on right. the show. Um, there will be stories that involve doctors and nurses. Ooh. Um, and that's about all I'll say. Okay. Yeah. And there will be horses. Ooh, horses. Okay. Yeah, you know, I wondered about that shot that there was, like... Specific. I'm like that's there for a reason. Uh-huh. So. Oh wait, the dead horse. Yeah. In the yes. Yes. Well, it was the, the the horse was there. It's actually based on a, a, a famous photograph of of these kids who are sitting in the gutter, like literally next to a dead horse. Um, and wow. so we just said, like, uh, well, we've got to have that. The reality of living in New York at the turn of the century. Exactly. Well, thank you so much, After Buzzers, for watching and joining us on our wrap-up of the pilot episode for The Nick. And thank you so much to our special guest, Michael. It was an absolute pleasure. Sorry, Jack. That Sorry, Jack, to- we couldn't get a hold of you. We're going to have to do it another time. Um, at the end of our episode, we like to tell everyone where they can find us at home. So do you remember your Twitter handle so you could share that? Yeah, it's at Michael Begler. All right. And Anna, tell everyone where they can find you. You can follow me at Koppel for Mayor, K-O-P-P-E-L-F-O-R-M-A-Y-O-R. Awesome. And I'm Oriana Leo. You can find me on Twitter at Miss Oriana Leo, Instagram Oriana Leo. Just type it in. You'll find something. Thank you so much for joining us. And we'll be back next week with episode two. From executive producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire AfterBuzz TV staff, we would like to thank you for listening to the AfterBuzz TV network. To watch or listen to other after shows and post comments or questions, be sure to visit AfterBuzzTV.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of AfterBuzz TV. Buzz, Buzz, see you later. later. 
The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals.